to read together with one voice the things that Jesus says in this passage. All right, so you're going to have to like put on your uh, critical thinking cap and be like, oh, when it says Jesus answered, that means Jesus is speaking. So we're going to read those lines. Um, sorry, we don't have it in red. Red would look really bad with purple. So, um, all right, so let's do this. Just a few verses. I want all of us to read together when Jesus speaks. If you would, stand with me, and let's read our passage and pray for our time in the Word this morning. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, keep going, this is Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We pray that through your spirit you would uh, teach it to us, speak it to us, change our lives by it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So busy. Busy as a bee. Buzz, buzz, buzz. I'm going to have to add that one to my repertoire. Man, we have a lot of... uh, I call them badge of honor quotes. I know that I have them. Some of my favorite badge of honor quotes. My life isn't busy, it's just full. It sounds so noble when I say that. Um, or, uh, you know, we, when Caitlin and I are together, I have to switch it from an I to a we, and I'm saying, well, we're busy, but it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff, guys. It's all good stuff. I'm busy, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have any, I just love my life. <laughs> then one that I seem to find myself doing lately, we're busy, but we do it together as a family. You know, like, we're busy as a family, and that makes it all okay. You know, um, there's a shred of truth in all of them, right? In all of those things that we uh, choose to, to use, those badge of honor quotes. And uh, as I've reflected on this idea over the last few weeks, uh, this thought hit me, and it was just, it was insane to me to think that two generations ago, my grandparents were surviving the Great Depression. They were surviving the Great Depression, hoping that they got a meal in a day, right? And here I am, two generations later, and my life is chaotically full. Or busy, which, you know, I... (laughs) I don't want to justify it too much. The reality is, right, there's, sometimes there's just too much of a good thing. Speaking of too much of a good thing, I added to my prayer list uh, all of you who have already started listening to Christmas music because if you started listening now, by the time Christmas is over, that is too much of a good thing. I love Christmas music, but if you started listening this week, it's too much of a good thing, all right? Um, Man, this fleshes itself out in our lives in so many ways. And I, I, 
it's really important to me, uh, and, and I feel like as a leader, uh, pastor elder, right, at our church, to be as transparent as we can. And, um, you know, this, this, isn't, this doesn't make me special. It just shows that I'm, I'm normal. And this idea of being too busy, man, it came to a head. It comes to a head a lot, but this Thursday in particular, <laughs> there were five things that I was supposed to be at in a two-hour window. And I'm on the phone with people from all five things, like giving them a shred of hope that I might come by for five minutes. And when I didn't make it to like half of them, I kind of chuckled at first because I was like, oh, I see what you're doing there, God. Got to preach on priority this Sunday. Hmm, got it. But there's also this deep level of conviction, right? Because all of a sudden, because of the fact that all these things are good things, like all those little uh, badge of honor quotes are true, right? Like they're good things. We're doing them together as a family. I'm not busy. I'm full. Like that's all true. but, But in that, I had not decided what my priority was. And because I didn't decide what my priority was, at some point that catches up with us. At some point that that just becomes too much for us to bear. We're only human. And I realized in that moment on Thursday, for like the 888th time in my life, that I have to set and decide what my priorities are. Right? We all do. But how do we do that? Because they're all good things. Right? They're all good things. How will we decide what our priorities are? And that brings us to our passage today. Verse 28, one of the scribes approached. And he hears them debating. And he's seen all of these conversations that we've talked about here at Christ Community over the last couple of months. Questions about religion. Questions about politics. Who should we give our tax money to? Is this racially motivated? All of these conversations. And and Jesus, the scribe noticed, has answered well. And so he asks him this question, which command is the most important of all? I want us to think about this uh, passage a little bit for just a minute. Like, what is significant about this guy being a scribe? Scribes, they were these unique people in this day and age. He, He, this man had spent his entire life being trained in the law. He was educated, he was smart, he was a thinker, he was a processor. In New Testament times, scribes had risen in political power because they were considered to have this incredible amount of wisdom because they knew God's law inside and out. And that law was good to help manage what was happening in that day and time. They just immersed themselves in it. He would have known every nook and cranny. He, he could have quoted it backwards and forwards. He could tell you what to sacrifice when, how much you needed, what you had to do with that sacrifice. I mean, he knew it all. And it was easy, because of that, for this guy to get lost in all the details of the law. In fact, he enjoyed talking and debating and thinking about all the details of the law. So he played one of his favorite games, one of the favorite games of the scribes who were the experts in the law with Jesus. What's your favorite commandment? It's like starting a conversation in Shelbyville by saying, before the cats or the cards right? What is your priority? When you look at the law, when you think about what's most important, what is most important to you, Jesus? And in this, I'm going to get you into a healthy debate. This question from the scribe is a question of priority. 
the scribe wants to know what is the priority of Jesus Christ. Thank goodness, because I'm trying to figure out my priorities. So if he knows his, maybe I can model my life after his. Growing up, we had this thing called the sock basket. I have successfully brought the, the sock basket into the lawyer home of Shelbyville, Kentucky today. It makes me very proud. The sock basket is that basket in which all the socks in the laundry just automatically get dumped. No time to waste trying to find matches. No time trying to track down all the socks that magically disappear in the dryer. It is the home of every sock, the sock basket. The sock basket is great until you're running behind and you can't seem to find a pair of socks. Please tell me somebody else has been here. Moose. I got moose. Me and moose will be looking for socks together. Right? So you find yourself, you've got one sock, you know you need a sock that matches, and in that moment, I mean, there might be 30 socks that match in that basket, but when you need to find a match, you cannot find a match to that sock in the sock basket. You find every sock but that sock. And I think many times, our journeys with Christ, our walk in this world, can be encapsulated in that picture. We know the sock that we need. We need Jesus, and we need more of him. We need our relationship with him to be right. But because we've got this basket full of socks, so many things that are good things, so many socks we could wear, but none of them quite the right match with the one we're holding, with the moment that we're in. You see, what I'm saying is that I feel like so often, and, and, and maybe specifically for us, Christ Community Church, our love for the Lord is lost somewhere in a basket of things that we like. Our love for the Lord is lost in a basket of things that we like. And don't get me wrong, I like a lot of the same things that you like. Doesn't it just feel like sometimes we're searching for something more? We're searching for the right sock instead of just the sock that we like. And if you're one of those people that gets down with wearing two different socks, just get out of here. <laughs> it's weird. Thank you. We need, we need matching socks. Our love for the Lord is lost somewhere in a basket of things that we like. And many times those things that we like, man, they're good things. We can, we can even attach a little badge of honor quote around them. Family, sports, time together. But before we know it, we've just grabbed onto that and we've almost made it the priority above Christ. And these things begin to creep up and become idols in our lives instead of good things. You know, we can uh, look at our day and age. We can get stuck inside of our own lives and we can think we're the only ones that this happens to but this is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. I love this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. Isn't that like the motto of a lot of people's life? Like, I just want to be happy. I just want to do something good. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter. It is madness and about pleasure. What does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly. Like, 
good grief, guys. This is the Bible talking about, I'm just going to have a few drinks so that I feel better about myself, right? My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. I'm not out of it. And how to grasp folly until I can see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. He goes on. I increased my achievements. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I did it all. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. That's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? I did all these great things. They were really good. It wasn't that I was dumb. I had to be really smart to get all these things. I enjoyed everything that I could. I just lived my life to the fullest, might be a phrase that we would insert there. My wisdom, I still had it. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. Oh, my goodness. Isn't this so true? Like we get ourselves all these good things, and then these good things bring us problems, and then somehow we get in this really weird circular argument, and we convince ourselves that the good things are reward for all of our struggle to get these good things. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile. A pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Our love for the Lord is lost somewhere in a basket of things that we like. I humbly say, <laughs> church, I'm not sure that Christ is our priority. I'm not sure that his mission is our priority. And the only question that I know to ask in light of that is how do we fix that? How do we, as a group, fix that? Verse 29, Jesus answered, you read it. The most important is listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Jesus is so wise. He gives one not just one, but two. And so in that, he not only answers the question, but he teaches us priority. He teaches us about priority by adding the second. So let's talk briefly about these two commands, right? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Each person, every one is created in the image of God. No matter how lost you are, no matter how broken your life is, you were created by the God of the universe to reflect who he is, and you do so even without trying. You were made to love God with every fiber of your being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In this day and age, and, and Jesus knew this when he did this, right? There was this practice in Jewish religion called Shema. And Shema was this practice where they would quote this first commandment twice a day. 
it was something where they would they would stop and they would they would say out loud, right? It's like doing morning prayer, like Preston's prayer right now is the same. Right? It's the same prayer for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's the same kind of concept, right? Like they would stand up and they would say and they would remind each other, guys, listen, Lord, the Lord our God, He is one, and we are to love Him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's one of the reasons I wanted us to stand up and read that together, right? And they did that to remind themselves that this was their priority. It also goes to show, like, even people who are doing that can, can forget that their priority is to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. These people were doing it twice a day, and it's still just whew, right over their heads. How do we know that we're loving God? We see how you love God will reflect who you believe God is. Let me give you a couple examples. Like, if you're that kind of person that always has to question God and the existence of him, there's a reason for that. Because you see, when we wrestle with God as their creator, do I believe that God created or do I not? Then we end up prideful because we don't see ourselves as his creation. We almost switch places with God and we think that we can figure him out. And our pride keeps us from loving him because we would rather question him. Or maybe we're on the other side and we feel like we've got everything figured out, that we can logically process this all. And when we wrestle with God, having all the power and all the control, we end up resentful that we don't define our own freedom. And our resentment keeps us from drawing close to God because we would rather be right than be in a relationship with Him. You see, what we believe about God affects how we love God. Augustine, a great church father, uh, he kind of summed up the, the first commandment this way. He said, Christ is not valued at all unless He is valued above all. That's the essence of the greatest commandment. But then Jesus adds the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what's interesting about this one? This one isn't, like, it's not second in the Old Testament. In fact, it comes from a, a little bit more of an obscure passage, Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18 says this. It gives us some insight. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know, the biggest obstacle to loving your neighbor is often not letting go of the past. Don't take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community. It's a shame. Many of us are taught, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? And in being taught that, we, we begin to build barriers of protection up around ourselves that says, I don't necessarily need to forgive. I just need to be strong. And that doesn't work when we are in relationship with God. Some have taken the second commandment and they have argued that you must love yourself to love your neighbor. And there's, again, a piece of truth to that. But oftentimes we take that piece of truth and we use it as a license, again, to protect ourselves. And so my question is, what would Jesus say if I looked at Jesus in the eye and said, well, I'll start loving my neighbor, but I have to love myself first. So I'm going to love my neighbor. I think Jesus would say something that he said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 33, when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You see, there's this interesting piece of, of just divine wisdom when we seek him first. That in doing that, we're saying that I trust that God's plan for my life is better than the one that I can figure out. We're saying that if I seek God first, 
He will be the one who comes in and helps to make sure that all the things I'm worried about will, will, will go as they're supposed to go. You see, putting God first is trusting that his plans for you are better than your own. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. He is one with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. What does this look like for us? Recently, two African Americans lost their lives when a white gunman opened fire at the Kroger in J-Town. Authorities are investigating it as a hate crime. Maurice Stollard, 69, was shot inside while shopping with his 12-year-old grandson. With his 12-year-old grandson. Vicki Lee Jones, 67, was killed in the parking lot. Both had multiple gunshot wounds. It's horrific. Certainly not loving God and loving your neighbor. This and things like this are terrifying reminders that we are not insulated from sin, from the sin of racism, from the sin of hate, from the sin of making other things besides the Lord our priority. These issues of injustice, they might have seemed distant as we talked about them in prior weeks, but not now. Not only this, but we're talking about a, a possible school shooting right down the road. This is real. Curtis Woods is the vice president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, an organization that we are members of. And in wake of the shootings at the Kroger, he made these statements. Unity at the time of crisis means that instead of us going to our separate homes and simply just being silent and not reaching out to someone who might be hurting, it means that we actually come together as a commonwealth. And then he would go on to say, we are the human race. The Bible is very clear. Every human being is created in the image of God, and you will never see an image bearer who does not deserve dignity. If the Lord is going to be a priority in your life, you must first accept and believe this truth, that you were made by God to be a missionary, not a mercenary. You were made to be a missionary, not a mercenary. And let's talk about what that means, right? Missionaries are on a mission to bring other people the good news that they need. Mercenaries, on the other hand, are people who sell themselves to whatever leader or whatever thing is, is best for them whatever thing is going to profit or benefit them. You were made by God for his mission, to be a missionary for his mission, not a mercenary who can sell yourself to whatever good thing you want to have in your life. You were made to be a missionary to any and all who might come into your path and become your neighbor. You were made to unite people around the one thing that every person has in common, that they were created in the image of the one true God. And they are invited into a mission to love him above all things and to love each other. And if and when that becomes our priority, not a side conversation, not a Sunday conversation, but a true and real priority, 
the purpose of our day, when it becomes the thing that drives our conversations, when we're trying to think about how this conversation can lead to Christ, and, and when it happens in our home and, and at work and at play, then and only then when, will our lives and our city begin to reflect the life that God intended for us and the city that is to come. Then and only then will your life begin to feel like it's supposed to feel, will it have the purpose and, and, and the, the plan that God has set out for you. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then your first job is to be a missionary who brings other people the good news that Christ has for them. And that leads us to another question. And I can only say it like the guy in Remember the Titans. You've been doing your job? Have you been doing your job? The truth of this message hit the scribe that day. Hit him square between the eyes. Because he knew, he knew the law. He knew the details. He knew the ins and the outs. He said the Shema twice daily. But he knew that Jesus was right. That Christ had to be the priority. And he knew that it changed the way he was living his life. These meaningless debates that he had taken so much joy from were actually dividing his loyalty to God. I would even go further to say he lost his sense of purpose. We don't even know this guy's name. Instead, he's now known as the scribe. How many of us would rather be known by the job that we do than by the name that God has given to us? Have you and I lost our purpose? None of us is exempt. Are Christ and his mission the priority in your life? Where do you think you are? Where do you think you are? You who are made by God to live on mission, to be a missionary before all else, where are you? You see, it's not okay to just come. It's not okay to just come to church. When we do that, I know this sounds weird, but I think we just kind of get stuck in the Jesus circle down there. And while the Jesus circle is a great place to be, it's not God's perfect design. His design is for us to be sent back with him into the brokenness. Here at Christ Community, I want to give us some tangible ways to think about this. And so how do we, how do we grow, right? Like, like, okay, we've got the gospel, that, that God had a design, there's brokenness in the world, sin messes it up, and we turn and we, we choose to follow Christ and, and we meet him in baptism, we meet the Lord, right? But, but then what? Then what? How do we grow? How do we own that in our own lives? Our community groups are places that we connect with other people because the reality is, the reality is, you were not made to do this alone. You were not made to do this alone. And so, yeah, I know it's hard. I know it's a, it's a time commitment. It's all those things. But it's not about community group being a priority. It's about Christ being a priority and Christ's plan for your life being a priority. 
And we also recognize this, and we've learned this over the first several years of Christ's community, right? For us to go back into brokenness, there's some things that we need to, quote, unquote, put in our backpack so that we're prepared for what we step into in the world. And that's why we started these equip classes. And there's more of those coming because people are engaging and, and learning in their faith what God's perfect design looks like and should look like in their lives. But we also have to go. Quick story, just because it's on my heart and it's a passion. Like, how do we go? Like, what does it look like to, to go share the good news? Yes, it's every day in our lives, like in our, our rhythms and our patterns. But there also has to be some intentional decisions to say, I'm going towards that brokenness. Here's one that I'm wrestling with. We had a, a member of our local police here in the building. He was assessing the building for just safety, general safety, what all that would look like. And he made a comment that has just resonated with me, and I haven't figured out what to do with And he was like, you guys don't understand where you sit. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, right across that highway, right there. He said, our units make more calls to those two streets than any place in the entire city. And you know how many times I've walked across the street? Like, I work here every day. How are we going to go there and share good news to people that think that they don't have any? Let's get a team of people together, and let's go storm the gates of hell on those two streets. Let's do something to break out of who we are and what we think is good and what we want and join God on the mission that he has for us. That's God's perfect design. That's the plan. So missionaries, where are you? Where are you? Maybe you're like, I've gone all the way around this, and maybe you need to be leading some of those things helping disciples after you do that? I don't know, right? Like, that's a question for you to answer. I'd love to hear your answer. But only you can answer, where are you? Here's what's really neat. When everyone engages this, when everyone chooses to lean in and say, I'm going to own the fact that God made me as a missionary, he called me to something more than just to give myself good things. And when we lean in and we try to figure out what that looks like and we figure out what that looks like, amazing things happen. That transformation that Phil Thurman talked about, it happens in people's lives one person at a time. Groups of people come together, groups that you never would have picked out for yourself. They come together, and they begin to figure out God's purpose for them, and they do amazing things. They start ministries. They serve. They reach people for Christ. People begin to sacrifice in ways that they never sacrificed because of their love for one another. Disciples are made, and then ultimately and beautifully, and the thing that we hope to be at Christ Community is that churches of people begin to plant other churches of people in communities that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And it all starts if you will for real, with accountability, ask yourself the question, where am I? Where am I? That's what the scribe did in verse 32. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You've correctly said that God is one. And there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, catch this, it's far more important 
than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. This guy knew all the burnt offerings. He knew all the sacrifices. He knew why they were important. He knew why they'd been put into the law in the first place. He says, you're right. When you put Christ first in your life, they do not matter. They do not matter. His heart is changed. His heart is changed. And Jesus responds to him. You are not far in the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Because you see, when Christ's mission matters most, most matters stop mattering. When Christ's mission matters most, most matters stop mattering. You want to be a people that doesn't get caught up in all of the fruitless conversations? Be a people that are so passionate about Christ's mission that that's all you're known for. Prioritizing the mission changes our heart. It changes our perspective on everything. And so I finish with this question. The band's going to come back up. Do you need to put Christ first in your life? Maybe as you see that presentation today, you realize that I've never actually given myself to the Lord. I've given myself to good things. I've given myself to things that the Lord would like but I've never given myself to him. I've never made him the priority. You could have sat in church for years and not actually believe that Christ was enough for you. If that's you, it tells us to turn from your sin, to turn from that idolatry and to believe in him. I would love to work through that. Our elders would love to work through that with you, whether it's here in the back or later on in the day, uh, whatever that looks like. Do you need to put Christ first in your life? For some of you, you've done that. And then for whatever reason, like you just, you strayed off of that. Like you're somewhere out in no man's land or you're sitting in the Jesus circle singing Kumbaya. I do not know. But you have to decide where you are and you have to take a next step towards the plan that God has for you and for your life and for the life of this church. Put Christ first in your life today. Let's pray. Jesus, may you matter most. And may you give us the courage to turn from so many good things in our life and to put you back on your throne in our hearts. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.